Jody Vance in for Mike Smith. Smitty will be back on Monday. We're continuing on with a pretty much open phones kind of day here on a Friday. And of course, you know, 10 o'clock means it's time for Baldry's Beat. So get ready to dial in and ask your questions of our Global BC Legislative Bureau Chief, who joins me on the line. Hi, Keith. Hey, Jody. I'm feeling for people who didn't get through. There were a lot of people hanging on the line there. Health Minister Adrian Dix here for an hour and not one person dropped off our phone lines. I've lost count of the number of emails I've received. When people say that they've had enough of hearing about COVID-19, I can tell you that that is not reflected in the number of inquiries here. And I just saw on Twitter, Natalie... Uh, on Twitter said, I got cut off after 40 minutes on hold. Minister Dix canceled my surgery on 18 hours notice on Monday. This was rescheduled from a cancellation in November. Every time we cancel surgeries, we have less and less access to OR time. When rescheduling happens, the wait list is now 30 years, she says. People are very, very frustrated. The impacts of Omicron are significant, legitimate, and very, very real. And they're just getting started. So we're at the beginning of a new journey here. Uh, Yeah, there's been lots of surgeries have been rescheduled uh, or canceled. I mean, they're going to come back, but it's going to take some time. So there's a a triple whammy here. You've got a, a, a virus that's spreading like wildfire. You've got the potential of overwhelming the healthcare system, not just with a surge in bed uh, capacity or utilization, but also, and we've talked about this many times, the impact it has on the people who service the healthcare system, the nurses, the doctors, the frontline staff. They uh, have the potential to be overwhelmed and also of the potential to be infected themselves with this virus, which is, uh, if, you know, uh, getting into double-dose people. Uh, again, so it's a, it's the beginning of a, a new part of the pandemic, and it's just interesting how this is playing out around the world. Only glimmer of good news. I get I subscribe to a lot of uh, COVID nineteen updates, medical journals, and such. And I just saw one this morning that a bit of encouragement out of the UK, where of course the number of cases there is just exploding. But the ICU numbers there and the people on ventilators are started to experience a notable decline in just the last week. Well, that good. follows what we saw in South Africa, where an explosion of cases, phenomenal growth of Omicron, and then suddenly it turns a bit and starts to uh, decline. It's declining very steeply in, in South Africa. It's not declining yet in the UK, but the most serious cases seem to be declining. And they don't seem to be hitting the worst cases that they had uh, more than a year ago, um, or almost a year ago, uh, back in January where their ICU numbers and hospital numbers are not approaching what they saw back then. In BC, we're not at record level of hospitals yet. We're doing about, the total hospitalization number goes up about 40 a day, but uh, that is not the highest we've ever seen. In fact, we've got 324 in hospital yesterday. We peaked back in um, late April at uh, in early May about 511 people. So we were over 500 people in hospital from day to day back in April and May. And we haven't approached those levels, but the fear is that we will. Can we address the number of fully vaccinated people in hospital, unvaccinated people in hospital, uh, how we measure uh, what a COVID-19 hospitalization is? There's a lot of confusion around this. Well, in terms of the vaccinated versus unvaccinated, it was about 50-50 for some time. Now I think the pendulum has swung slightly more vaccinated people are um, in hospital or just slightly less than 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 unvaccinated. Where the real key um, statistic, though, Jody, is in ICUs, because those are the people who are most sick. There, you know, there are people in hospital with um, 
with Omicron who aren't terribly ill, uh, but they have been admitted to hospital. They show up, they, they test positive, uh, they present uh, symptoms that are serious enough to warrant hospitalization. Um, but it's the ICU numbers that uniformly are the most serious uh, cases. And that is about 65 to 85% on any given day of the people in ICU. These are people, many of whom are being intubated on ventilators. Those are unvaccinated people. And that really hasn't changed for some time. Uh, because we have so much, you know, more than 90% of the population uh, is double dosed. And so when you see a, an infection virus like Omicron, which infects so many people, it is going to infect vaccinated people. And so therefore, that will start tipping the balance of people being in hospital. But it's the ICU number that is the, one, is the key one to keep an eye on because that is the most sick people and invariably those are unvaccinated people. And a good opportunity to reiterate, at no point in time were vaccines um, presented as a 100% protection Never. from infection. Never, Never. once. Never Not once. It's, it's a percentage thing. And again, Omicron is just a different, it's a different virus than, than yeah. Delta was. I mean, Delta was putting people in, one study is uh, putting uh, people in hospital, ERs and ICUs, two to six times what uh, Omicron is doing. But Omicron is infecting so many more people. Can you give us a um, a little bit of a hint as to what you expect this after, or the, not this afternoon, uh, later this morning in an hour and 20 minutes when we have uh, the public health briefing with Provincial Health Officer Dr. Bonnie Henry, uh, Health Minister Adrian Dix, as well as uh, Education Minister Jennifer Whiteside. What do you expect to, uh, to happen at today's briefing? Well, the key person there is Education Minister Jennifer Whiteside, which is an indication there's going to be some uh, some things addressed about the beginning of the school system. A lot of nervousness about how this is going to work, how much online learning there will be. I suspect Minister Whiteside will address such issues as notifications to parents. Uh, if there's outbreaks in schools, how will that happen? How will it happen? How realistic is it to expect something like that to happen? Um, there's been constant you know, dialogue in the education community how to how to restart this thing. And I expect Jennifer Whiteside uh, to provide some uh, new information on that. I don't think anything radically different, but um, the expectation is there's probably going to be a lot of parents keeping their kids home next week with uh, just to see how this is going to go. And there's going to be, have to be some contingency plans if there are, uh, you know, what are called functional closures of, right. of classrooms and schools. So I expect her to shed a little more light on that. And Dr. Henry and Minister Dix um, probably talking more about the hospital situation, um, perhaps some, some uh, rapid test information, although Mr. Dix provided you with some of that uh, just moments ago. So I'm not sure there's going to be anything electrifyingly new, but right as you said off the top, Jody, I think there's renewed interest out there in what's going on. Uh, people ha- had have COVID fatigue, there's no question, and are sick of this, but at the same time, as we see surgeries canceled, as we see or, or rescheduled, um, this is starting to affect a lot of people uh, adversely, and that number is growing and growing and growing, and that's why you see heightened interest in this, what's going on. Jody Vanson for Mike Smith, continuing Baldry's beat on a very busy open phones day here on the program. And certainly, Keith, as per usual, lots of callers and lots of emails and DMs coming in for you. And I think we should get straight to the phone boards because they lit up so quickly. I believe James in Coquitlam dialed in as soon as I introduced you in the last segment. So let's get to you, James. Welcome to the show. Hi. Um, two things. One, uh, first off, I got my third vaccine because I'm Indigenous. I'm perfectly healthy, but I got it in early December, and now I've just been diagnosed with Omicron. 
So I'm curious when I'm better, what that means for my antibodies and, and what I need to be worried about or if I have nothing to worry about. And secondly, if anyone has a sore throat due to COVID, I highly recommend green tea and honey. It's basically made me feel perfectly fine. <laughs> That's it. Thanks, James. I'm glad you got mild symptoms now. It's not uncommon for third, people with their third dose to get Omicron. I know a number of people who fall into that category, but they're not terribly ill. Um, but it, and in terms of the antibodies, I profess I'm unfamiliar with exactly what the impact that will be on you, uh, both short-term and long-term. But again, just because you got your booster dose does not mean you can, you're necessarily going to be able to avoid Omicron. It is infecting people with third doses. But like I say, relatively mild illness, certainly compared to the Delta variant. So this kind of dovetails, what James is saying, dovetails a little bit into a DM that I just got on Twitter. Uh, Scamper says, hi, Jody, please ask Keith a question about this. How do we explain the transmissibility of Omicron? It's unlike anything practically. Could this not largely be the result of lack of public awareness? So being double vaxxed is that not creating copious amounts of potential asymptomatic spreaders, not sick. So can socialize, doesn't, doesn't need a mask, which is not correct. You should, everybody should be wearing a mask. NHL testing, everyone has shown mostly asymptomatic positive cases. So can this not explain some of the ridiculous spread of Omicron? Uh, perhaps, but public, uh, scientists and public health officials are still scratching their heads how this thing um, came to be and why it's so transmissible. So there's lots of studies on this, but it's early days. Omicron was really only discovered literally just weeks ago. Um, it's substantially different than Delta in many aspects. And so I think the science is still evolving on this. I'm not sure there's any firm, uh, hard conclusions you can draw, but I would think perhaps Jason Tetro might have a little more information on that front. And he will be with us in just 10 minutes' time. Let's continue down the phone boards. Carrie and Surrey, you're up next. Welcome. Uh, yes, uh, thank you. I'll try to make this super quick. Um, my friend's daughter, nine-year-old daughter, was sick. They made an appointment to get a test. They refused a PCR test and were handed a rapid antigen test. So I have two quick questions. First one, why are we being told that our rapid antigen tests are unreliable, which is why British Columbians can't have individual access to them, but then in the same token, they're handing them out to children at uh, testing centers. And the second one is, how will we know how kids are being affected by COVID if they're not receiving PCR tests, which is how we get our public numbers um, from the public health officer? Thank you. Yeah, so the, there's triaging going on at uh, most test centers right now. If you're, un, if you're under 50 and over the age of five, you likely will not get a PCR test unless you're exhibiting some really strong symptoms of COVID, notably loss of uh, taste and uh, loss of uh, sense of smell. Um, and in terms of uh, and that's in terms of rapid tests, they are not totally they're not useless. They do uh, perform uh, a, a task, but as Dr. Ronnie Henry just says, and other health doctors say. Uh, rapid test can provide a red light, but not a green light. If you test positive uh, with a rapid test, that's that's usually um, accurate enough to conclude that you have tested positive. If you test negative, though, that doesn't mean you're in the clear. Uh, rapid tests are not as, as accurate as PCR tests, and we only have so many PCR tests. And this, all provinces and states are finding a challenge now to find enough tests to meet the demand that's out there, whether it's PCR or rapid test. And, you know, as Minister Dix just told you, um, Jody, it's one thing for the federal government to say, we're going to buy 140 million rapid tests. It's quite another thing to sit here and wait for them to arrive. Um, yeah. And we're still waiting. The whole world 
is looking for more PCR tests. The mm-hmm. whole world is looking for more rapid tests. Yep. Anywhere you read up on anything, you know, Shay, Shane Woodford, who we, we get his uh, Substack newsletter out of Denmark, that, that's what the, the Danes, they test hundreds of thousands of tests per day and they're still running out of tests there. And, so, and they, they still have incredibly high case counts and totally. hospitalization. So yeah. again, testing is just one, uh, one tool, tool in the toolbox, folks. It's yeah. not the magic bullet. The thing with the rapid test that I think is really important, and we've talked about this all week long, and the, and the emerging science behind the fact that red light, green light, one of the reasons why we don't have rapid tests flying around BC is because people think, oh, I tested, I'm negative. Yeah, most of the people party. that I, exactly, and most of the people I know who have ended up testing positive eventually took three over yeah. four days. So and you, the third one was positive. And you do the math. If so if it requires three tests to establish one way or another, though, well, that's uh, that's 15 million tests we need in BC if, if everybody were to have the same the same access. And that that's the challenge is literally the the supply. Of this we're back. Remember the very beginning, the challenge over PPE. The yeah. concern we weren't getting enough gowns and masks and all these things. And then we suddenly got, you know, gazillions of them. It was fine. But there was a real crisis there at the beginning over PPE. And now the same thing is happening with rapid tests and PCRs. Let's go. Mike in Richmond, you're up next. Welcome, Mike. Hello. Hey, guys. How are you today? Hi, Mike. Good. How are you? Good. Um, just uh, say a quick piece here, and then maybe you guys can address this. Um, <clears throat> across Canada and across the U.S. now, um, they're coming out and they're saying that COVID hospitalizations <clears throat> are any positive COVID test. So people going in there, just getting tested <clears throat> because they're being admitted, um, are now counted as a COVID test. It doesn't matter if they're there for a broken leg, <clears throat> not treated for COVID. Um, to me, this seems like a little bit of manipulation of numbers. <clears throat> and unfortunately, it's uh, put a lot of fear into people. Um, and the, the second part of that for myself is um, like, where are they counting these people <clears throat> that aren't being treated for COVID that are a positive test and end up dying <clears throat> while they're in the hospital? So a couple of things, uh, the criteria to go into a hospital and the definition of COVID uh, cases varies greatly and differs greatly between the States and from state to state and from state to province. So it's not a uniform counting system or rating system, and in terms of uh, people dying of COVID, the numbers in BC are really low when it comes to deaths associated with COVID. Our numbers have actually dropped significantly, um, but they're on the rise in other jurisdictions in the United States. There does seem to be a statistical, significant statistical difference between the sta- many of the American states and Canada when it comes to some of the statistical uh, research, and it also varies from state to state. Um, there's no one system fits all. That's one thing we've discovered through this pandemic. Uh, public health seems to function differently in various places when it comes to classifications. Hopefully that answers your question there, Mike. And uh, Keith, as always, such a pleasure to be able to have the opportunity to tap into your knowledge. And uh, the last few weeks have been uh, really enlightening for me and I know for our listener and people that phone in and write in and respect your perspective in in such a huge way. Thank you for all that you do. Can't wait for you to be back on the show again and co-hosting and tell Smith to take more holidays.